Welcome to the GA Golf Podcast. Everybody and welcome to the first GA Golf podcast. You can find our business page by searching for GA Golf Society on Facebook or going to www.facebook.com forward slash GA Golf Society. We also have a page where we run draws to win the latest golf equipment while supporting UK based charities, which is currently the Cystic Vibrosis Trust. I am very excited to welcome Dennis Pugh as our first ever guest. Dennis is the current tour coach to Ross Fisher and Francesco Molinari and is also a regular on Sky Sports Golf as a pundit. If you follow him on Twitter, you will know his love of a table layout picture and his hatred of those for asking for free golf tips. Hello, Dennis. How are you? Oh, good. Well, an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I'd have to get the Twitter um twitter bit in there first because um i followed you on twitter for a couple of years and um you are known for a few subjects on twitter yeah i do have a few opinions doesn't seem to uh, cheer up everyone but there we are that's twitter exactly it is yeah i just wanted to start with your background in golf so you, you turned professional at the age of 17 is that right yeah it was a long while ago uh 1972 and uh i turned professional and went to work as an assistant pro and in those days you did a couple of years and if you were any good you could start pre-qualifying on a Monday and and that was the route that I took into the game and uh, it seems such a long while ago but it was Monday qualifying and uh, able to do that occasionally and in, in the end I, I stuck around for about 10, 11 years and when I got to 28 wanted to get married and have a family and had no money I had minus money actually so it was time to start to uh, think about a real living and got a job at Wanstead as a club pro there and from that day onwards I was in the uh, the other side of the game where I was making money not really spending it. Yeah and that, that's something that really interested me. You actually started teaching or coaching at quite a young age. What, what got you into that? Well when you uh, you know those times I was a club pro and I was trying to uh, you know retail and also give lessons and and obviously found that I was quite enjoying the lessons and getting quite good success from them. And after about five years five years of being at Wanstead as their club pro, I felt it was better for me to move on and just specialise in just coaching and, and not to be, uh, you know, to do anything other than no retail, nothing else, just uh, no playing, just coaching. Okay. I can imagine the tour was pretty different then to how it is now. Yeah, um, certainly was. So the you know those times there wasn't a travelling uh, too much travelling coaching going on. Um, you, you would the tour pros would come down to see you on a Monday wherever you were based. If, if you were a tour pro pe- teacher, they'd go off and play, and you looked on teletext as it was then. No, no, no European tour app to moan about. That was uh, <laughs> see how their scores were. You'd hope they'd be on the first page and not the last page. And you know it was at different times, but. The whole thing, the coaching, the European tour itself, obviously has has grown immensely, and now you know, there's chances for people to travel and and coach players, and they will have their their squads around and their team, and even the way they talk now, it's we, you know, we hit six iron in as if every every member of their team was involved in that shot, when really it was they they hit the six iron. 
And I've heard you say in the past that David Ledbetter was a big influence on your style as coaching, but who else would you say in the past or even more recently has influenced you as a coach or as a person? Well, I think the the influence from David came because we were both assistants um, to a guy called Phil Ritson, who was based a South African coach based uh, at Disney in Florida. And unfortunately, Bill, uh, Phil passed away this year. Uh, Phil was a really charismatic uh, guy and, and knew a lot about the golf swing and taught David and I really how to work a video camera when they were just starting to come out, um, how to work, work and analyze video. Um, David was a great help then when moving on to starting my own career as an independent coach, um, showing really how it can be done and leading the way like he did for so many. Um, he... he he really fathered the whole business of coaching tour pros as, as a means to an end in itself. As and, we move and, on, sorry, sorry, sorry to sort of continue, but it would be really bad of me not to mention the influences from others like John Jacobs, who, you know, John Jacobs, uh, for a lot of people, was the, the main man of coaching. And it's not so much the way uh, what he coached, it was the way he coached. The man of, I said recently on Twitter, you know, when he spoke, you understood what he was saying. Um, Use simple, simple everyday words to convey the complexity of hitting the golf ball, and it was really a joy. And I think the manner of giving a lesson was his influence on me. So there'd been three people that, and there've been so many others that are helped. That, but you know, you 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 learn from people, and and hopefully you put your own product, your own package together. Actually, interestingly, I saw your tweet about John Jacobs or a couple of tweets. And actually, in my previous career, I was a coach at a, as a different sport. And the thing yeah. that really stuck with me was that if you, can, you only understand something if you can explain it to someone very simply. And I think that's one of the things you were sort of saying about John Jacobs. He used quite easy language to understand and really got his point across quite well. Yes, definitely. And, you know, in, in today's world, with all the extra information and, uh, you know, the the amount of well, social media sharing and, and arguing and discussing and call it what you will. But there's a, a tendency for people to try to make it pseudo-intellectual, scientific and much more of it than you know, just speaking plain English and, and, and really hitting the ball around a field, which is sometimes windy, cold, wet, damp and uneven. So you know, it's not a very precise science, the game of golf. And as time went on, your playing career finished and you were, you were coaching full-time, did you imagine or have that ambition at the time that you would go on and coach players like Colin Montgomery and Francesco and Ross Fisher and all those sorts of people? Was that your ambition? Yeah, it was pretty much from day one um, because I was brought up in the environment where Phil Ritson and David Ledbetter worked with tour professionals. So I was seeing that on a day-to-day basis and it was, was what I was being trained to do. And um, I knew I was doing okay at it. So I pretty much supposed that it would go um, uh, go well. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a, a lack of confidence in what I was doing, which probably comes across quite easily on Twitter as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then how did that stem from the coaching? How did you get into the television and presenting side of, side of things? Well, that that was um, at the uh, the Open uh, U.S. Open that Ernie Els beat Colin at, and uh, David Livingston had asked, uh, yeah, Congressional actually ninety six ninety seven. I'm not quite sure the date, but Congressional anyway. The Sky through David Livingston had asked me to come up in the box to watch uh, Collins play the back nine, and they said for ten minutes, 
and um, it comes as no surprise. I kept talking, talking, talking. So they basically I stayed there right to the end, and then they asked me to come in and and do a studio work uh, through the winter. Um, that was twenty odd years ago, and I'm still non-stop talking. So. Uh, <laughs> And it must be something that you really enjoy because you look very comfortable on television. You give great knowledge across to the, the everyday golf viewer. Thank you. Yeah, I do enjoy it. It's something that's a challenge to find ways to present, uh, you know, in simple ways, something that's becoming increasingly more complex as we get more information. And, you know, it's also quite a challenge to keep it current and correct because the nice thing about golf, but the tough thing about golf, is a lot of the viewers are well-educated themselves. And, uh, you know, not, not just the professionals, but what I like to call the hobby golfers, um, just because it's their hobby, they don't um, not know things. They, they've taken it upon themselves to learn a lot. So there's a, you have to be careful that you're not spreading cliche or stuff that used to be true and, and, and not keeping up to date with what's really happening in um, the learning of the game. Sure. And you're talking about finding new ways to present information and make it um, more interesting. I've been following a little bit of Keith Pelly, who's obviously the he's the commissioner of the European Tour at the moment. Yeah. And his sort of remit really seems to be trying to modernise golf with experiments like the Super Sixes tournament. And particularly the social media team for the European Tour have to be one of the best in any sport, in my opinion, with videos like they did the Awkward Reporter and Eduardo Molinari's yeah. multiple yeah. attempts at hole-in-one and all that sort of stuff. Is, in, in, your, in your opinion, is there, a, is there a rule change or something like miking up player caddy conversations that you would like to see improve golf in this broadcasting way? Um. I'm not, not too sure about the liking up because it's uh, sometimes industrial language is being used down there and, and it's not always ideal to be having to, and you do have to apologise. It's part of the, uh, the the rules on TV that uh, you apologise for the bad language. So what the one thing I would like to see, and it's so costly, but it's so good, I love to see the shot tracker um, behind the ball. So when the players hit, I think there's got to be a time when every shot is... Uh, followed um how how costly how expensive whether it can be done but certainly in the key groups on the final days when you're seeing saturday sunday the tournament go down it's so good when you see the ball flight go off and you're pretty much certain straight away you haven't got to wait for six or seven seconds to find out where it's going to land and that adds to it to me Uh, i've watched um, a repeat i think it was of like the 1992 us open on sky sports the other day and it was so odd not seeing where some of the drives, like the line the drives took off, went with Pro Trace. It was it's such a we've got so used to it on some of the broadcasts and on certain holes now that it's almost quite strange watching it about it. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you. The other thing I'd love to change or see change in some way is that that some way of highlighting where the hole is on the green when pros are putting out. You know, it's not always easy to see, um, and you know, the whole object of the exercise to get that little ball in the hole or close to the hole yet we can't see the hole. It's sort of, um, that's that's one way of making the game, I think, a little easier. Even if it has to be done by putting artificial little flag in there like they do in the American football when they put the 10-yard zone in and it's it's done by it's done by the uh, technician crew. It's not actually painted on the line of the pitch. But, you know, these are things that we're growing. But to you asked me how I see it getting better. There are a couple of the areas, but I certainly think it's getting a heck of a lot better and Keith Kelly and, and 
is at the, the, the head of the, the vanguard, if you like, the head of the train, not the vanguard, the head of the train that's going to say, let's get things done, and let's not be scared to try stuff. It might not all work. It's all, you know, going forward and trying to make the game more appealing. And, you know, the, the, the hero challenges that they had at the Masters and other events, um, you know, the, the, the purists don't like it. They don't like change, and, you know, my opinion on change, I'm all for, you know, what makes things better. And I'm not really, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not old, I'm not an old fart. I'm not stuck in the... <laughs> And what's been really refreshing is that the European Tour seems to have done it slightly more than the PGA Tour maybe as well. Yeah, I think uh, certainly uh, up until recently, the PGA Tour over in Pontevedra uh, have been very conservative and uh, you know their, their main man, the commissioner there, Tim Finch, has moved on. And I think you can see a change coming and you'll see a bigger change coming as they uh, take a more, shall we say, refreshing look at the game and not, not close shop and so corporately presented package that the PGA Tour, you know, they don't even tell you what's happening behind the scenes when a player's been a naughty boy. Um, it's all together to be nice and all-American and sweet as apple pie sort of thing. When <laughs> the real world isn't like that, but they don't, they want it to be. So, yeah, the European Tour is a sort of walks in all operation. It's very open and that's, you see, and when players get upset, they can get upset and they'll, you know, they're fine, they'll get told what they get fined for. Actually, something that I've spoken to you on Twitter a few times is uh, talent. And I know that you talk about it quite a bit on Twitter. It's a topic I'm like, personally quite yeah. interested in because, as I say, I was a coach in a different sport. But it seems to be something that people have quite a few um, misconceptions about. And I think some of that comes from the whole Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour theory, which was that you can sort of master or become an expert at anything with 10,000 yeah. hours of purposeful practice. But what are your thoughts on sort of talent and nature versus nurture? Yeah, that um, that whole sort of idea about you can develop into a champion is, uh, is is you can develop into something better, but it's not going to be a master of the art, and it's not a matter of hours; it's a matter of talent. And talent exists; it happens in any sport. You know, I, I for my my sport's golf, and I can see you know when someone's hitting a ball. The, what is talent? Well, the first level is the ability to create speed and find the sweet spot. That's the first thing. That, you know, they've got natural speed, and can they find the sweet spot, regardless of the technical skills they have? Uh, because all of us, when we play golf, even if we haven't got a very good swing, at the start, you know, you're going to hit some good shots because that's the addiction of the game. So, yeah. you know, what's their speed level? What's their sweet spot level? And next thing, how quickly can they learn the skills? So that's a talent in itself, that the ability to learn the skills that are required to play the game. And then the, the final talent, if you like, is how well can they perform on the golf course? So that the ability to take the game they have and, and reproduce it when it really matters, when there's one ball at a time, not a part of practice balls. So it's inconceivable to me that A, people think there's no such thing as talent, and B, the, I call it the dreamer's charter. It's one that they <laughs> want to believe. The dreamer's charter is the one they want to believe because if they only had more time, money, and they would willingly put in the effort, they would be Jordan Spieth or Tiger Woods or whoever the great hero of the day is. And uh, there is a word for that, but I'm far too polite. BS is how it sounds. One hilarious thing that I saw you post on Twitter about it was that you were talking about uh, talent and people sort of not understanding it. 
and why they don't necessarily understand it. And you put um, a lot of people have loft issues. And at first I was, I was looking at it and thinking, is he talking <laughs> about delivering loft in golf? And then, and then you sent another tweet explaining it and it was lack of effing talent, which I thought was hilarious. Well, yes, I think that, you know, it's true. You know, there's a, a lot of issues and, um, that, that I see are, are basically down to that. And the reason a lot of people don't get better at golf is that because they're trying to think it's about just grinding out the, the secret in yeah. the dirt. Another great cliche, the secret's not in the dirt. There's dirt in the dirt. And the more of it you dig, the more you'll make permanent whatever you're doing. And usually if, and usually if it's done purely on determination, not much talent and not much technical training, you permanently become worse at golf. So actually hard work can make you worse. And, and you know, that's one of the great conundrums of the game as well. So uh, you know, there's a lot of cliche in golf. It, it seems the better the player, the least likely they are to use a cliche, and the worse the player, the most likely they want to throw in a cliche and live by it. But they don't live very well by it on the golf course. So I just wonder why they, they, they stick around with their cliches and don't actually challenge the cliches because all the tour pros and their coaches, coaches are challenging every cliche in the game. I think that's so interesting, and you and talking about cliches, you see it in the amateur game, and it is peddled by golf magazines sometimes. The whole sort of keep your head down and other things like mm-hmm. drive for show, putt for dough, and all that sort of stuff. So it does get reinforced in the yeah. amateur golf uh, uh, amateur golfer quite often. Yes, talent wise, obviously you get to see hundreds of professional golfers all the time. Who have you walked past on the range, apart from your own players, obviously, and you've seen them swing or heard the sound of their ball strike and thought, oh, wow, they've, they've really got it there, something special? Yeah, you don't see it where you go, wow, that's something special. There's swings like uh, Robert Rock, whose golf swing is a joy to watch. Um, don't coach Robert, but you know, very, he's one of the few players I'd stop to watch hit balls and, and enjoy watching just the way he swings the club. Uh, but on the level of going the wow factor, um, you know, I've been around the tour for a long while, 30-plus years, and Tiger Woods, Ernie Els, Sergio Garcia, Rory McIlroy, um, there's no four great stars, but when I saw them for the first time, they were kids, basically, 13, 14, 15, 16, that, that sort of age, and you could tell then, yeah, that's that's special. That's Because it was the speed and the crack on the ball. People say it makes a different noise, that noise is the sound of the sweet spot being hit at speed. So, um, and they, they had that ability to do that, and, then, and they, they didn't miss the sweet spot as often as others. They still hit bad shots, um, and unfortunately for all of them, where their bad shots are bad, because they, they hit the sweet spot at speed, where they miss getting the other factors of impact right, um, wow, it goes a long way offline. Maybe a bit like Tiger's uh, driving when it was going a little bit slightly offline. Yeah, well, he created a lot of speed. And if he hit that sweet spot and, and got the face in a wrong position and got his delivery angles wrong, it was going out into the into the black country. So, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's how I see it. Is there a young up-and-coming player that you really think they've got a lot of talent and they could really sort of have a long, long successful career at all? Yeah, I mean, it'd be no secret because he's the number one player on the, um, on the scene right now. But Tommy Fleetwood has... Is, is not a flash in the pan. And he, you know, he had some dark periods in his his recent times where he's you know, almost lost his game and, and found it and come back. But you know, he's a genuine talent and somebody who can uh, 
and can expect to play at the highest level for a long, long time. So I don't, I don't see any problem for Tommy. But for someone who's coming through, uh, Jordan Smith looks to be a, a, a proper player and somebody that uh, you know, we, we can say would, I would say, would be around for a while and, and expect to see go to the higher levels of the game as well. I've been yeah I've been following his results in the last sort of year and he seems to really have got he's had a couple of great finishes but also a general sort of consistency in a lot of his finishes this year as well. Good good a good prospect. We have a sort of seg- we're going to have a segment on the podcast every week where we just get five four or five very quick questions sent in by uh, members of my group on Facebook. I'm quite um, conscious. I don't want to keep you too long, so I know you're very busy. But the uh, the five questions were that were sent in. The first one: What is your ultimate ambition as a coach now? Uh, to make my wife, the famous Twitter Mrs. P, get down to uh, scratch, and she's off two point seven. I don't think it's going to happen because we're going to have to find another thirty yards off the tee. But that's my ultimate goal. Okay. Oh, she's she's a very good golfer then. Very good golfer. Yeah. The second question, which I thought was an interesting one, was in a Sky Sports goal four-ball bettable match with yourself and Rich Beam versus Mark Rowe and Nick Doherty, who would win? Uh, Mark Rowe and Nick Doherty versus Rich Beam. It'd be a good game because Rich's game is still pretty decent and mine's pretty rubbish. Rowe's is pretty rubbish and Nick's pretty decent. <laughs> um, it'd be, it'd be, a, it'd be would probably chip it at the last and they'd win one up and he'd never stop bragging about it it'd be horrendous so let's not play that much because if it all went pear shaped we'd never hear the end of it do you actually get a chance to play much or anymore or do you just so busy I would say that I'm pretty, pretty much just a once a week uh, golfer now nine holes at the weekend so it's not much golf I would say a Rick would be the one that's still playing enough a little bit more than the others anyway. And uh, I don't think Rowe's got the clubs out the bag other than to do tripping lessons, but he's awfully good at it. And Rick still plays. You know, he's played in, he plays in the PGA each year. So uh, good choice, but let's hope we never do that and we'll say all square to be polite and that's Rowe chips in. Yeah, Rich made the cut at the US PGA. Was it last year or the year before? Yeah, I think it was a year before, and, and yeah, he can still hit it. I watch him on the range, and he can still hit it. You know, he, obviously he's got a lot of banter now. But he's on TV, <laughs> he but, does. Uh, yeah, he's, 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 he's still there. The third question was, do you think Tiger Woods will come back and win on tour again? Uh, no, uh, I don't. And the reason I don't is that I think that he's coming back uh, a little sooner than he perhaps would be advised from in terms of having the back strong enough. The swings that I've seen in make, the video swings I've seen are looking good technically, but they're very much at 80-90%. And people are saying, well, surely if he played at that, he could win. I think he probably could win if he played at 80-90% because of all his experience and his ability to construct a score. But the problem he'll have as soon as he plays with Dustin Johnson or Jason Day or Ricky Fowler or any of the guys that are pumped out there, Rory, He's not going to like to be 30, 40, 50 yards behind. So he'll put the, he'll put the boosters on. The turbochargers will come on, and uh, that will put too much pressure on his back. And uh, I don't think it's because he, uh, he, he, he's not good enough to win. I just think he won't be physical to win. He won't be able to stay around. And I think, sadly, that this will be the last comeback, and it won't be for too long. It does seem such a shame that he doesn't seem to be... Um... So I'm not sure if willing is the right word to have a proper time out of golf and rest the back. I mean, as a competitive athlete, it must be so difficult because I know that he does want to come out and win. But 
obviously his back is still seemingly quite a big issue. Yeah, I think it, you know anything to do with the back is a big issue. Can go at any time. Um, and the one thing you don't want to be doing is get into an ego battle with Dustin Johnson on who's got the long ball. And, uh, and there's others coming out. You know, there's the uh, I think the guy's called Cameron Champ. And, uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, you know, he's, he's coming out with 200 mile an hour ball speed. That's going to equate to 360, 370 yards on on tee shots. And you know that's going to be where Tiger was. 20 years ago, showing the tour a different level of, of distance off the tee um, with good accuracy and uh, a decent putter. Those guys are going to be unbeatable. So uh, I'm sorry to say, because there's still a lot of Tiger fans out there, but I, I don't think it's, a, and I'd love to be proved wrong. And you can replay that answer to me in a year's time when he's got a trophy. I'd be happy to say he was wrong on that occasion. Hopefully I will. Question four was, what is the biggest myth in golf? And the person in brackets has put drive for show, putt for dough, slash the strokes gain stats point towards that the better ball strikers earn more money versus the players that are better from sort of 100 yards and in and putt well. Is that true? Yeah, the biggest myth is definitely that. They, uh, it's, it came out recently as well, Mark Brody, the great statistician on the, on the PJ Tour, uh, what basically happens is each week the best ball strikers put themselves in positions to win and uh, their winning winning abilities are, are really taken up by how well they cut that week. So, you know, the great praise is that, that would sort of kill the myth of you drive the show, you putt the go. You drive to put yourself in the show and you putt to win the show because you're going to be the best putters that week of the best ball strikers. And, yeah, and, and certainly no one is going to say that on any given week, occasionally someone has such a great round with their, or four rounds with their putter and hit it marginally, but usually that's not the case. They uh, they have to hit the ball decently because the level of competition is so high now. Uh, and, you know, you really want to have a great putting round when you're going to shoot 64 or 5, not a great putting round to shoot 70 or 71 because of the level of competition. So the great putter's survival now is is, um, is the myth. It's hard for a great putter. They have to be a decent ball striker as well, just to survive on tour. Yeah, I think the European European Tour did a poll um, about two, uh, two months ago, was it? And it said, would you rather have Rory's driving or Jordan Spieth's putting? And I think 80% went Jordan Spieth's putting. And it was amazing yeah. to see so many amateurs saying, well, I'd hold everything around my course if I was Jordan Spieth. And actually, Jordan Spieth doesn't hold everything. He's a very good putter, but he, d- he still misses quite a lot of putts. And you'd definitely rather have someone like his um, Rory's game off the tee or Jordan Spieth's iron play is fantastic. And that's probably a reason why he's in and around winning a lot with his putting as well. Yeah, I think that's the case. And I'm going, you know, as a sort of final say, if you like, on that matter... It, uh, there is no doubt that you know the, the stats have proven it. Uh, that you know Rory's driving for you if you're a, if you're an 18 handicap um, golfer will do a much better job for your game because you're already closer to to what Jordan can do on the green than you could ever imagine. You know there's only there's only six putts in an average round where Jordan's going to show that he's a better putter than you, and that might mean that he'll make three of them. And you know he's going to improve your score by three. But with Rory's tee shots from where you would be playing. Uh, unaccustomed area, 3.30, 3.40 in the middle of the fairway. Um, you know, you're going to do a lot better than you know where you are at the moment if you're, you're hitting it 2.10 into the rough sort of thing. So that's no doubt. And, 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 and sort of on, on the point of that, 
which is really weird. People instinctively know that because if Jordan Spieth was putting on a putting clinic uh, outside the clubhouse here and Roy yeah. was putting on a driver clinic outside the clubhouse, everyone would want to watch the driver clinic. Um, you know, that's because it's the nature of the way things are. Uh, yet we all think that, well, not we all, we listen to that cliche and it's only a few that are accepting. It's wrong. The cliche is wrong. You drive to, you drive to go and you Sure. And and the last question we've got uh, before we let you go, Dennis, is yep. if you had to create a golfer and choose someone's driving, iron play, short game and mental game, past or present, how who would you put together to make that sort of elite golfer? Uh, what a good question. That is the best, the best driver of the ball. In the, you know, how far back in history are we going? Are we going as far back as Hogan or are we going back as... Uh, as far back uh, as you like. Okay, well, Ben Hogan put the ball in play off the tee um, with power. Um, using modern equipment um, would, would be you know, the ultimate driver of the ball. Um, if we go, go to more recent times, Greg Norman was the best driver of the ball I've seen. I've only seen videos of Hogan, so go with what I've seen. I'd go with Greg Norman as a driver. Um, approaches into the green, and that would be Jack Nicholas because Jack Nicholas had a, a higher ball flight than most and could also control things were needed to be controlled and he could uh, hit marble shots. Um, but that would be my number one choice. I personally see Johnny Miller at his prime hits the ball closer than anyone um, who just he talks rubbish on TV. So how <laughs> <laughs> greater and greater than I am player he really was. Uh, what was the other two points? Short game? Short game, which includes putting and men the mental game. Okay, well, short game including putting, it would be Tiger Woods. Although Seve, if it was just short game, because Seve's putting left him towards the end. But uh, uh, short game chipping was Seve, but overall Tiger Woods was beyond doubt. And uh, and Jordan Speed was good, but you'd still, I'd still go with... Uh, I'd still go with... Uh, yeah, Tiger. And I'd also go with Tiger for the mental game when he was at the top. He could get what he used to call his C game and Nicholas as well. They could win when they really weren't playing that well. And that's the ultimate test of a good mental attitude. Um, but what I liked the most was Tom Watson because watching Watson play, he looked like he enjoyed the challenge of a good fight out there. He was uh, up for everything the golf course could throw at him. Uh, he took the good, the, the bad and the ugly and made a score and got five opens on the strength of it. So um, they're my choices and they're my reasoning. So I'm going to sum it up by saying Greg Norman off the tee, Nicholas, yeah, Johnny Miller, go with Johnny Miller. Short game uh, was, was, was uh, tied up and Tom Watson for overall mental attitude. That'd be some golfer. Uh, I think winning every week would be quite likely. Yes, yes, I would hope so. <laughs> Dennis it's been an absolute blast speaking to you thank you very much for coming on and spending some time on the podcast are, are you broad, are you broadcasting on Sky today? Yeah I'm going to the studios this evening and I've uh, got uh, the PGA Tour 6 till 9 and uh, it'll be the same at the weekend I'll be doing Sunday Simon Holmes is doing uh, Friday and Saturday and it uh, should be a good show Brilliant and yeah thanks again for coming on people can follow you on Twitter at DPU54 although as I said earlier be prepared for conversations on Brexit talent and table layouts uh, Dennis thanks very much and hopefully we'll um, we'll speak again soon It's my pleasure good luck with the uh, the whole thing